Okay, on this uh, amazing Lord's Day, I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with a quick story. I was in grade school, and uh, I, I'll never forget it because I remember my dad's face. He's sitting in a chair. I have four brothers, and it was report card time. Isn't that wonderful? Report card time. So we would, my dad would sit in the chair, and we would kind of line up. And we'd go to my dad, and we'd present our report card. Um, so this particular report card, I had a D on my report card. I think I was in grade school, and so I was faced with a little bit of a trial. So the trial really is go to my dad, and do I say, hey, dad, I, I messed up. I need to study more. I need help. So instead, back then, that's how old I am, we had carbon copy. So the carbon copy allowed me and my brothers to be able to take the carbon copy and change that horrible D into a beautiful B. So what did I do? Did I change it to a B, or did I leave it as a D? And you already know, because I'm telling the story, so I go to my dad, and sweating, and I hand the report card in, and my dad was one of the hardest workers you would ever have met. He was working three jobs, and he looked at it, and great job. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I come to a situation in my life where I was like, had a choice to make and chose the hiding my grade and lying to my father, who never to this day, he doesn't know that I did that. Or my brothers did that. But why? Why would somebody do that when you have a choice of going the right way or the wrong way. And we're going to learn about that today. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago when we were speaking about James 1, we learned about trials. That God will put you in a trial not to hurt you, but to test you and to strengthen you and make your faith really strong. Because he loves you. That's what he wants to do. But today we're going to learn a little bit. James keeps going. And I, I, I remember saying something the last time I spoke about how Tim Mackey said that James... The book of James is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut. And I say that again because wait till we get to what we're going to study this morning and you're all going to be holding your stomachs and being like, oh, this is rough. But then wait to the third point because that kind of brings us all back. So I just wanted you to understand that um, today's rough, but God causes all things to happen for good. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that can be tough at times. We thank you for putting us in situations, Lord, that will allow us to have a stronger faith. And when we are tempted, Lord, we thank you that you are our God, you are our Savior, and that you keep us clear from those things, we pray. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I also remember last time I spoke, I asked you a question. And I said, do you love God? Do you love God? And that's between you and God. Go home and pray to God and understand that's between you and him. Today the question is, do you trust God? Do you trust him, his sovereignty? Do you trust that God is in control even though your world, like this water bottle, is straight up, your world is now upside down? Do you trust him? And I can honestly say there are times that no, I don't think I can honestly stand before God and say, I trusted you. But God does these things because he loves us. And we have to understand that things, bad things are going to happen. Listen to Hebrews 12. 
my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. But don't be crushed by it either. So don't shrug it off, but don't be crushed by it. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. I don't like being disciplined, and I don't like being corrected. I don't like when someone turns around and says, hey, Mark, you're wonderful, but. You know, that's the kind of thing at work we get all the time. It's like, lift the person up, and then kind of, all right, well, here's the real reason why I'm talking to you. I hate that. I don't know if you guys like that. but I, and, and I will always walk away thinking, I forget about the great things they say, but all the negative criticism, I just have a hard time with that. But God is doing things in our lives, my life, your life, because he loves you. Listen to Romans 8. Moreover, we know that those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. A pattern. It may not look like at that moment things are working out right, but it's a pattern that God is working out in your life. So the first point this morning is called the blame game. When you get into situations and trials, do you, who do you blame? Or you don't blame anybody, but do you blame God? And if you're blaming God, do you do it in such a way that you figure no one would even know? Let's just read, read together James chapter 1, verse 13. Remember what I was saying about James? He, he just wants you and me to have strong faith. So he doesn't pull any punches. He just puts it right out there. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So you wonder where we get the word tempt here. You know, where does that come from? Because he's talking about trials, and all of a sudden it changes to tempting. Well, verse 12 talks about trials. Verse 13 talks about tempting. The, same, the Greek word for that, it's the same term. It means the same thing, and you can interchangeably use it. So James is saying, yes, you go through a trial. God is testing you in trials to strengthen you. He would never, ever, ever, listen, ever, ever tempt you to evil. God cannot do that. It is not in his nature. It can't happen. But James is saying here, no one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. You know, temptation is real in everyone's life. So when you have a trial in your life, just remember there's also an opportunity for temptation. Just like me with my grades. That was a trial. I had to be honest. But I chose being tempted to lie and to hide my grades. Even though I was like eight years old, it still doesn't matter, I still did it. Temptation, the definition is the act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially the evil. Elizabeth George said this, remember, temptation in itself is not sin. So when you're tempted to do something that is going to go against God, that's not sin. Remember, temptation in itself is not sin, but the failure to resist temptation is sin. And I have failed abundantly in my life. You know, I, I, I want us to remember, though, and I need to remember that we're not alone. There's not one person staring at me right now, one person listening to me that is not tempted 
in certain ways. So I, I love Jim Elliott, and he has this journal. This is his journal of his life. So he tried his best to write down in a journal the things that were happening. So you get all the way to December 31st. I think it's 1955. Jim Elliott was a missionary that was martyred in Ecuador. And this is what he says. December 31st. A month, a month of temptation. Satan and the flesh have been hard on me. How God holds my soul in his, how God holds my soul in his life and permits one with such wretchedness to continue in his service, I cannot tell. Oh, it's been hard. I have been very low inside me, struggling and casting myself hourly on Christ for help. Marriage is divorce from the privacy a man loves, but there is some privacy nothing can share. It is the knowledge of a sinful heart. These are the days of the New Year's Believers, conference on the Sermon on the Mount. Yesterday, I preached, what I preached on was on whoever looks on a woman. Let spirit conquer through the flesh. Let spirit conquer though the flesh conspire. Jim Elliott is writing down here like, look, I am a person who is tempted and I am a person who needs help. So the reason I read that is I, that we know when we leave here today that you're not going through something that somebody else isn't going through. And it's very common to each one of us. You know, what do you do when you go through a trial? I remember I uh, lost my job. I was at center reach track. I had to get out of the house. I didn't know what to do myself. I was angry. I was angry, and I actually verbalized I was angry at God because I had such a great thing going. Everything was what I thought was holding my family up was a job that was paying the bills, paying the mortgage, and there couldn't be anything more important than that. So God's teaching me a lesson. You're wrong. I want to strengthen you to know that I am the most important thing in your life. And yet I'm standing there at the center of each track doing this. Who am I to do that? Who am I to blame God for what's happening in my life? Just remember that the, the word for trial here is the same word for temptation. We was never, ever, ever blame God. Now, you don't have to turn there, but when I was doing the study for this, all the commentaries turned to Adam and Eve. And my first thought was, I don't want to go to Adam and Eve. I don't want to go there, because everyone goes there, because you're talking about blaming. And I'm like, you've all heard it before. You've all heard that, you know, Adam blames Satan and, um, sorry, see, I didn't, I'm not even getting it right. But I want you to listen to what Adam was saying. Because when I did look at it, I said, I have to say this. Look what Adam says. So Adam and Eve are being told, or Eve is being told by, by Satan, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And then if we go a little further, this, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, now listen to this. The man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. God, it's your fault. He's blaming God. I'm looking at it and I'm going, I can't believe it. 
So we have to think about in our lives, God will never directly tempt you, ever. And he will never indirectly tempt you. He can't do it to evil. He will not, cannot. And I'm just looking at these words and I'm saying it's right there. Right there that Adam is saying to God, it, you gave me the woman, she gave to me, and I ate. No wonder why most people who are preaching on this will mention Adam and Eve. Because it's right there. And we have to understand who God is, though. Who is he? Who is God? What is he like? And if you turn to Isaiah 6 and you look at uh, what's there, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, it says, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings. With two each covered his face, and with two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. And the one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. God is holy and never, ever can be sinful. Ever. Just look at me. I love when I read my notes. Don't look at me. Look at, look, <laughs> look with me at who our God is in 2 Corinthians. 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet, yet without sin. And then when we, we get into a temptation God will always provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to man. And God is faithful. So he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will provide a way of escape also that you will be able to endure it. You know, Jim Elliott, when he wrote in his... Um, journal here, he said, I'll be casting myself on God every minute, every hour, and every day. Not those words exactly, but he was casting himself on Christ. When you are tempted, that's what we need to do. We need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. John Bunyan said, what God says is best, is best, though all the men in the world, so that would include everybody here, everybody looking at me, myself included, what God says is best is best, though all the men in the world are against it. Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Again, to go back about trusting, trusting in Jesus. And not blaming God when we get into situations, but running to him and bowing down before him and saying, Lord, I hate this. Please take it from me. But if you don't, Lord, I know I'm okay because you are there with me. 
You know, one of the, one of the greatest stories in the Bible is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, they, they could have, like, all the other people, every person is bowing down to an idol. And, and I think in my own life, I think when other people are doing things I know is not right, I question, but they're all doing it. They're all doing it, so God, is it really all that wrong if everybody's doing it? And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no way. No way. God's going to save us because the punishment of, of not bowing down to the idol is being thrown into fire. I burned my finger last week while I was making bacon. Little tiny piece of grease hit my hand. My poor family has been hearing about my finger for two weeks now. Imagine being in a furnace. And they said, God will save us. However, even if he doesn't save us, we're never going to go against God. This is amazing. Amazing. I almost rolled myself to the emergency room because of this little thing that finally is healed. Imagine being thrown into a furnace. They will never blame God. Unfortunately, myself included, we do what we want to do. We, all those people bowing down before the idol, they thought that was the best thing at the time. Our second point is guilty as sin. If you just look at uh, James chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Now this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. I, I, I love this here because I would have expected, I would have expected James to say, it's okay. You got to pass because I know the devil made you do it. You, you're okay because everything in your life is conspiring against you and Satan wants to ruin you. It's okay. He doesn't, does not say that. He says here, you are the sinner. Mark Harrigan, you're the sinner. If you're sinning, there's something going on in your heart and your soul and your mind, and it's you. Not your mother, your father, your brother, your boss. Not your car, not anything else, but look inside. God is saying he knows you. He sees what's inside of you, and this is what's there. Paul knew it so well, Romans 7. For I know that good does not dwell in me. That's what Paul says. For I know that good does not dwell in me. That is my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Now I'm going to point at Emma, because she's going to put up a picture on the board, which is hard to see. But what you're going to see there is my very, very, very happy daughter who just caught a fish. And do you see that fish? Do you see the fish there? All right, remember the fish. Because David Platt 
thank goodness for commentaries and other people being smarter than me to be able to tell me what the passage means. So David Platt says this about the passage, about sin and how it happens. First, there's deception. We don't believe God. We just don't. And we go our own direction. Remember what Satan, or the, in the Garden of Eden, said to Eve, did God really say? So then there's desire. So remember, there's deception and desire. We're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires. So this poor fish, he's just floating around in the lake, and he happens to see this beautiful worm, fluorescent as it is which I don't know if worms are that color. But here he is floating around, and he's hungry, and he wants to eat. And maybe there's something on there, like a little piece of gold, that's just making him go towards it. And that's what happens when we sin. We have a desire. Our desire entices us and draws us to sin. And this poor fish, unbeknownst to him, underneath the worm is death. There's a hook there. He's going to bite down on that worm and get the biggest shock of his life. And that's what happens with us. Everything looks like you don't go into sin saying, I'm going to ruin my family. I hope that's not the case. I'm going to steal from my boss. I'm, I'm going to, you don't do that. You go into it thinking this is the best possible thing. And then the fish bites down and gets the big shock. But... There's a hidden hook under there. The next one's disobedience. We act on our desire. You know, I changed that grade. I acted on that. We steal. We lie. You know what? The list goes on and on and on and on. There's an example in the Bible that's uncomfortable. Again, I believe it's in Genesis, and we talk about Cain and Abel. It says, now Cain was a keeper of flocks, but now Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flocks and from their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became angry, and his face was gloomy. Listen, then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, listen, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you but you must master it. And the story goes to a horrible place. Cain is in the field with his brother, and Cain rises up and kills his brother. The fourth thing David Platt says is death. Look at that fish. Okay, don't look at the fish. <laughs> he, no, it's fine. He's dead. He's not happy. You know, when we talk about death in the Bible, we talk about separation from God. Trust me, you don't want to be separated from God. 
You don't want to go down that path. You don't want to be that you're Lord and Savior, that there's a wall between the two of you. You do not want to go there. It is devastating to you. But you know what? We may not think of this when we're sinning. It affects every person in our lives. You're not just doing it to yourself. Do you know the heartbreak that people around you have to go through when I sin and when other people sin? And then I thought about where are we? Where am I? Where am I when other people are going down the wrong path? Am I helping them? My son-in-law and some other people here play softball. And we went to a game. And as we're going to the game, here's the backstop, and here's a fence, and here's, I'm probably exaggerating, but this much room for a bunch of people to sit. And behind us are woods. And I, I won't soon forget the warning that came from every person. Watch out. Watch out for the poison ivy. Watch out for the poison ivy. Watch out for the poison ivy. Soon I heard myself saying, hey, watch out for the poison ivy. You better look out. It's right there. And then the whole game, I'm doing this. Is it creeping up on me? Because it may be creeping up on me. Watch out. Do we do, are we do, I don't do that. It's easy for me to say, I don't want you to get a nasty rash on your leg, but why am I not telling people you're going to be spiritually dead and separated from God? So it's so convicting. But watch out for the poison ivy. And then I think about people in my life who have helped. Certainly the people in this church, but then others. I think of Dennis Rainey. Years and years ago, he told a story about he was walking down the block and he saw a, a dirty magazine sitting there. And he had stood there and he did this. And kept on going. I tell you that it saved me. Simple story. But you can keep on going. You don't have to be tempted and follow that temptation. Even though the pull is so hard. You can keep on walking. And part of this uh, verses here, it says, don't be deceived. You know, he's saying, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus Christ, don't be deceived. It's like saying, do not walk down the wrong path. Don't walk down the wrong path. Don't be deceived. And I had to think of Jonah. It's such a, an odd story because he's a messenger of God, and God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I got a job for you. Pretty easy. Go to these horrible, nasty people, mean people, who I know you don't like. I want you to go to them, and I want you to tell them about me, tell them how bad they are. You know what Jonah does? Just like Dennis Rainey did the right thing, Jonah does the wrong thing and goes this way. But Jonah goes the wrong way, and things start to happen that probably does not make him too comfortable. He said, don't be deceived. Don't go down the wrong path. It may look great. To Jonah, it probably looked wonderful. I'm going to get on a ship. I'm going to take a little trip. Yeah, overboard into a fish for three days and then be spit out. So Jonah did not want to do what God said. But you know what's so amazing here I can't understand? He doesn't want to do what God said because of this. He does not want to do this. I knew I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. 
slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and the one who relents from disaster, so now, Lord, please take my life. He didn't want to do what God said because he knew there was a possibility God was going to say to the Ninevites, just like he said to you and to me, I love you, and I don't like what you're doing, but I'm going to lavish my grace and my mercy upon you if you'd only accept it. Only accept my son's death on the cross for us and his resurrection. He, that's what he's saying. And, and Jonah's like, I'm not going to do that. Imagine that. And again, it just shows our hearts because I can't pick on Jonah. He's just like we are. Just like me. Just like you. The last point is God's good gifts. Look at me and um, keep saying look at me for some reason. I have no idea why. Don't look at me. Go to James 1, verse 17 to 18. I'm going to listen to this tape later and be like, oh my gosh. Now here's the point. After we went through all of that, I love scripture. Because James doesn't want to leave you kind of sitting in the chair with your head down holding your head, saying, huh, there's no help. So I believe this was D.A. Carson who said, what is the cure, or asked the question, what is the cure or medicine for temptation? What is it? Because there is. Worship Jesus in all his goodness. And that is something you could do anytime, any moment. Verse 17, every good thing given in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. In the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits. Again, being honest, I read scripture sometimes and I don't understand it. I read, I read that in my first fruits and lights and... I don't know. So then I had to go to some commentaries and to understand it. And then I got this uh, verse, Psalm 7120. Though you have made me see troubles. Look, listen, listen to this. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter. Who here hasn't known bitter troubles? Tough troubles. And this is what the psalmist says. You will restore my life again. There's hope. From the depths of the earth, you again will bring me up. You know, the greatest gift, the greatest gift that God has ever given anybody is salvation from his son, Jesus Christ. It, I take that for granted. Please don't take it for granted. Don't go down the wrong path. You know, no variation or shifting shadow here shows God's consistency his consistency in love and in grace and in mercy, and that will never change. He'll never, ever, ever stop loving you. He won't. And you can't get better than in these verses. It says, he chose us. And sometimes I think, hey, Mark Harrigan goes to New Village Church. Mark Harrigan serves here. I do this. I do that. That's baloney. We're a church, we're a family, we're a body. We together are his church. And he chose us. 
He chose us by his own will. Amen. It can't get better than that. It is the goodness of God. D.A. Carson also said, desire gives birth to sin. Remember the fish? Desire gives birth to sin. God, by his word of truth, gives birth to life. That is eternal life. First fruits, this is from John MacArthur, says, Christians are the first evidence of God's new creation that is to come and enjoy presently in their new life as a foretaste to future glory. Are we doing that as a church? Are we showing other people what it's like to have salvation in Jesus Christ? Second Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be, dis- will be discovered. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are, ought you to be in a holy conduct, conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat, But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I have a hard time picturing heaven. I'm so thankful for Keith Schwamm who went over Revelation. And if you read in there, God gives us a picture of heaven. I I personally have a difficult time living my life day to day, looking up. But I need to do that. I need to understand that this is not it. I remember... Uh, we had, I think it was a youth pastor, I think it was Tim, and he, he spoke about how your life on earth is like that, but your life goes on forever. And we have to understand heaven is going to be the most beautiful and wonderful place. Turn with me to James verse 12. We're just going to end on this. I'm going to read a hymn to you. I'm not going to sing the hymn. Just going to read it, but verse 12 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown which is life, it really means, salvation which God has promised to those who love him. You know, David had this hymn, I think it was last week, and as I sat back there, I was listening to the words as they sang, and I was like, this is it. This, this is everything that God has put on my heart to say to you because God put it on my heart. And I'm sitting back there and I'm listening to the song and I felt like, which I very rarely do, you probably will never see me raise my hand or stand up. But I wanted to. I wanted to stand up and say, amen. L- listen to these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died 
My sinful soul is counted free for God. The just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, the perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could say, if we have put our faith in you, Lord Jesus, we could say, with Christ my Savior and my God. And I pray that if there are those who have not done that, you will draw them to you and that they will bow down before you and praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.